18, 15 through 17, as we continue through the book of Luke. Luke 18, 15 through 17. Hear these words. Now they were bringing even infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked him. Excuse me, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The word of the Lord. Well, I know we're all on pins and needles uh, concerning the announcement that's out there. I'm specifically talking about the impending divorce between Brad and Angelina, known as Brangelina, the $400 million divorce. It seems they're getting divorced yet again, or on the verge yet again of divorce. It was the number that struck me, $400 million. I guess that is the combined net worth of Brangelina. Not a bad haul for a couple of movies, huh? I saw something quite astounding uh, yesterday, speaking about net worth. Uh, We were down in Norfolk at the, um, there was this community arts festival, and so we went down there because I'm a very hipster type of guy. I'm sure you already knew that. But uh, we came upon a boat, and I think we have, I have a picture of the boat here called the Scat, which apparently is Danish Scat, which means it's a term of endearment. The Scat is 233 feet long. It was moored there, dwarfing the spirit of Norfolk in which you take the cruise. It looked like a, a dinghy compared to this boat. We see the helipad uh, right there with the helicopter. I thought to myself, who owns a boat like this? $75 million to put together this boat. Well, his name is Charles Simony, Simony, a Hungarian computer programmer. And if you don't know his name, I guarantee you know him because he's responsible for a computer program that most of us use every day. Uh, Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. He was the head of the applications development program for Microsoft that put out Microsoft Office. And so old Charles hangs out on the scat six months a year with his wife, junior of 32 years. I'm not saying anything. And has a net worth of $1.4 billion. It's interesting this term net worth, isn't it? What is a net worth supposed to assign? Well... Think of the terms, net worth. When you sort of take all of the assets and liabilities and put them together and net it out, this is the worth of a person. Or is it? We certainly are taught to believe that, that somebody's net worth is the accumulative of their possessions and assets and values. The disciples are seeming to fall prey to this line of thinking, right? Because infants, even infants as the passage says, are being brought to Jesus and they're saying stay away. Well, what is the net worth of a child? They have no value, right? In terms of monetarily, so I guess their net worth is zero. But clearly Jesus thinks otherwise. The disciples had it wrong about assessing the net worth of people. I wonder if we do as well. 
So we're going to dig into this passage and take a look. And I think as we examine it, we will discover one thing. That it is Jesus, not man, who assigns us our true worth. And if we want to understand a true assessment of our value, we must go to Him and not to the world. We're going to look at three specific groups of people. Number one, we're going to look at the disciples. How they managed to get it so wrong while being so near to Jesus. Number two, we're going to look at Jesus himself. His response specifically in regard to infants and what he has to teach us. And then finally, we're going to look at ourselves. How we go to the Lord. How we assess worth. Well, let's begin with number one, the disciples. Jesus has been giving a uh, a, a number of illustrations in the last couple of uh, parables. If you remember, he's been teaching us about the kingdom of God and how the kingdom has come and how the kingdom operates in a different way than the kingdom of man. He's been teaching the story of the persistent widow, you remember, who goes to the unjust judge and showing us that power is not resident in he who has the most money or the most might, but rather in God. And the one who depends and relies on God for strength. Then there's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee who tithes all that he has and on the surface is an extremely godly man. And yet it's the tax collector who comes with broken heart who goes home justified before God. Teaching us that the kingdom of God looks at the heart of man, not just his hands. Well, this new topic deals with value. And Jesus is using the illustration of children. Verse 15, now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. Now why were these parents bringing these children, infants, to Jesus? Did they believe that there was some sort of magical healing power that if Jesus touched them, that something would happen to them? No, we know that it's even deeper than that because we have two other parallel passages they were bringing these infants to Jesus so that he might bless them. We think of the word blessing and it doesn't mean a whole lot for us. I mean, we say the blessing at uh, dinner. I'm not meaning to denigrate uh, uh, how we think about blessing. But blessing to the Jewish culture was extremely important. There were many different blessings and they were extremely valuable. For instance, the blessing between a parent and a child. Remember Joseph in Genesis 50 who's getting ready to die and he brings his sons one by one, the 12 tribes of Israel, and he lays his hand upon them and he pronounces a blessing upon them. He in essence passes his favor to them. And there is the blessing of course of God, the blessing to the Lord. There's an instance for instance where Moses Says, take jo uh, says to Moses, uh, God says to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. In other words, the favor that I have for you, Moses, by you laying your hand on him, my favor will move to him. And so blessing really is the equivalent of favor, human favor and divine favor. These parents are bringing these infants to Jesus because they want the divine favor of God. And so they present these babies to Jesus. They're bringing them. Well, the disciples will have none of it. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. 
In fact, we see that they're functioning to hinder people. Whatever they're doing, they're dissuading people from coming. They're turning people away. It's like the disciples have become these bouncers, if you will, that are determining who gets access to Jesus. You know, they're the important people and there's the the hanger-ons, the riffraff. We see other people having functioned in this capacity in the past. Remember the blind people that were shouting out, Jesus, have mercy on us? And the crowd said, hey, you know, stop bothering the teacher. But Jesus, no, no, bring them to me. Or what about the daughter of the synagogue ruler? You know, she, the messenger comes. The child is dead. Why bother the teacher, the crowd says. But we've never seen the disciples themselves functioning to hinder, to be the gatekeeper. Why is it that they're doing this? Is it that they believe that Jesus has no time for these kind of people, no time for these infants? I don't think so. I think perhaps the reason is that the disciples have no time for this. There are important things to be done. The disciples are participating in the ministry of Jesus, right? In fact, just recently, Jesus has given them power that they might go out and perform miracles themselves. Heal the sick. They've been a part of the big picture. They've received power. And so they are taking the place of assuming that they understand the mission of God. But they're still so worldly in their perspective. Jesus has even taught them in the past the values of the kingdom of God. Remember Luke 9? I preached about this. There was a dispute between the disciples about who would be the greatest. They're arguing. And Jesus brings a little child and has them stand before the disciples says anyone who does not who is the greatest it's the one who serves whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me for he who is least among you he is the greatest it wasn't too long ago in fact one chapter before that Jesus was warning the disciples and others about leading little ones into sin it would be better for someone remember watch out don't lead any of these little ones to sin, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to sin. So Jesus has been teaching them. He's been illustrating. But the disciples aren't getting it. What has gone wrong? The disciples have lost sight of grace. See, they've forgotten the fact that they were rejects. You know, there was a process by which godly men were chosen to be a part of the ministry, right? You would start out, all the kids would start out at Sunday school, Jewish school, where they would be evaluated on their knowledge of Scripture. And they would continue to get selected out. And only a very, very, very few would be chosen as a rabbi would come to them and say, come and follow me. Well, these guys were fishermen and tax collectors. They were guys that didn't make the cut, so to speak. Nobody was banging on their door. And yet Jesus went to them. And he said, come and follow me. I want you to be part of this ministry. Indeed, I'm going to use you 
to change the world. They forgot that the way God works is this. That God chooses the weak things to shame the strong and the foolish things to shame the wise. It is because of God they are in Christ Jesus, not because of their own prowess. They forgot that salvation is by grace, through faith, and not of themselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that no man may boast. And the result of that is in their hearts they made a separation between the others and themselves. The insiders and the outsiders. It's easy to look at the disciples and think to, themselves, think to ourselves, how could they have done this? But we have to look at ourselves as well, don't we? We must be careful. Because how we view others shows how we view ourselves. How do you view other people? Are you quick to accept them? Are you quick to assess them? To sort of count up their value? Are you quick to point out their mistakes? Or are you gracious toward them? Jesus valued the least. And so the universe in many ways is like a mirror. What we see is perhaps a reflection of how we see ourselves and how we see God. Reminds me of a story of a family, two families that were moving to a new town and the new family pulled up in their U-Haul outside of the town and they saw a man and the driver, the dad, rolled down his window. He said, we're moving to a new town. Tell me what the people are like in this town. And the person said, well, tell me what people were like in the last town. Well, they were mean-spirited. They were unkind and inhospitable. And the man said, well, I think you'll find the exact same type of people in this town as well. Then they left and a new family came along on the road, rolled down the window. Hey, we're moving into a new town. Tell me what the people are like in this town. They'll tell me what the people were like in the town before, where you came from. Well, they were warm and they were kind and they were friendly and they were accepting. I think you'll discover that the people in this town are very similar to those. How we see the world and how we see people is a pretty good indicator of how we see ourselves. And so, my friends, we are an assembly of the rejects. I'm sorry, it's true. We're the people that didn't make the cut of holiness. We're the people that got passed by. We're the weak. We're the foolish. If this isn't sitting well with you, listen, there's an alarm bell going off. Because God chose the weak things of the world. And the kingdom functions in a different way. There's a new value. It's one that's not given by our possessions or our performance, but rather by the sovereign grace of God. And so you and I must re-examine how we assess worth. How do you gain friends? Who do you look to? Is it by their assets? Well, they're your boss. They're an influential person. 
Or rather, do you see with colorblind eyes as to influence? What about the lowly person? The hated person? The person in your lunchroom that nobody sits by? We can only know one type of people if we are understanding what God has done in our life. People that we are to extend love and grace and kindness to. For God has been good to us. And the least of these deserve to know the love of God through our lives. We're continuing to build this church, quote unquote. As I look around, there's still room to grow. So who are we going to fill it with? Could go find the influential, the wealthy, the valuable, people who could push our agenda. Or we could be about the mission of Jesus. Loving people irrespective of what it is that they have to bring. But rather because of who they are. The disciples had it wrong. I hope we don't. But let's turn to Jesus' response, how Jesus shows us the true path. But Jesus called them to him, the disciples, saying, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In fact, in the parallel passage in Mark, it says that Jesus was indignant that they were doing this. The Greek word of indignant is, um, you could translate it, seething. Or there was something bubbling up inside of him. He didn't like it one bit, in other words. And so what does Jesus do? He rebukes the rebukers. Why is he so angry? I think he's angry for two reasons. Number one, he's angry because of the hearts of the disciples. That despite him showing them love, that they're just not getting it. But I think the main reason he's angry is because people are being kept from the kingdom of God. Remember, this is the reason why Jesus has come. He's come to announce the kingdom, to free the prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to call out those who are living in the dungeons, to bring out people from the rule of Satan into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The Pharisees he was so upset with because he said, you guys continue to put all these rules in place and yet you hardly even lift a finger to help people. And the disciples are here doing the same thing. And so he's upset. And who is it that the disciples are hindering? They're hindering children. Even infants, the smallest of children. But Jesus called to the disciples saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, truth be told, we get this passage wrong because we often tie it right in with 17 without thinking about it. Notice verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child, like a child shall not enter it. But in verse 17, Jesus is speaking to a different audience, isn't he? Verse 16, he says to the disciples, let these children, these infants come to me and do not hinder them 
for to such, meaning for to these who are being brought, belong the kingdom of God. See, we hear in our own tape that, well, that can't be. They have no value, right? What he's really saying is that you have to accept the kingdom of God like a little child. The answer is, it's not either or, it's both and. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God belongs to even these particular infants. And so what is so special about these particular infants? He doesn't say it belongs to all infants, does he? He says it belongs to these infants. What is special about these infants is they are the ones who are being brought to Jesus. See, we're colored, you know, it's not in this one, but you see a whole lot of stained glass windows and there's Jesus with the children, right? But what was really going on here was extremely radical. Okay, Jesus was an itinerant preacher, no qualifications and special training. In fact, he was so looked down on by the religious establishment that they had issued an edict that anyone who said that Jesus was Lord was to be thrown out of the synagogue. The custom was to bring the child to the rabbi at the synagogue for the blessing of God. But these people, these parents said no. We're going to buck the system and we're going to go to Jesus out in the wild because we believe that he is the son of God. He speaks with authority, not like the teachers and chief priests. He heals sins. He is the one who has been sent by God. They're parents just like you and me. You know, the infant mortality rate back then, much higher than it is now. They wanted the best for their children just like we do. They wanted the blessing of God for their children. And so because of their faith, their belief, their surrender to Christ as Lord and Savior, they did the natural thing that one would do. They brought the most valuable things they owned to him. Now you may say to me, wait a second. Objection. These are infants. They can't make a decision about Jesus. But you see, that's exactly the point. Jesus has made a decision about them. Jesus took them into his arms and blessed them. Not the be a good child blessing that we experience, but the covenant blessing of God. People say to me, we never see cases of people who are believers in the New Testament bringing their children for baptism. I say, of course we do. This is baptism. What Jesus does in person, he commands us to do through the sacrament of baptism as he is now no longer with us in body but in spirit. And when you think about it, how are people brought to Jesus anyways? They're always brought by the faith of another, right? Remember the paralytic? 
four friends come carrying him to Jesus. They break a hole in the roof and they bring him down. And when Jesus saw their faith, says the scriptures, how did you come to faith? It's most likely a friend. Somebody who had faith, who came to you and brought you to Jesus, either through church or through giving you the gospel. And Jesus gives a privilege to parents. Know therefore, parents who are believers in Christ and have children, know therefore that the Lord your God is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. Peter, in the very first sermon that was preached on Pentecost Sunday, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Why do we baptize infants? Exactly because of this reason. We come and we bring our child to Jesus. Bless my child. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, all that are mine will come to me and whoever is mine, I'll never drive away. All who come to me, I'll never drive away. And so children are considered members of this church. Those baptized children are considered members and have the privilege of the care of this church to grow up, to be cared for and nurtured and one day to stand here at the communion table fully upright and to say, yes, Jesus Christ is my Savior. And we're able to communicate to them long before you believed in Christ. He believed in you. I don't know if you've gone to Bush Gardens lately. Got this thing, you saw it at Disney for a while, it's come, the Quick Queue. Anybody use the Quick Queue? I think it's $600 to use the Quick Queue or something like that. Quick Queue is simply this, if you pay some extra money, you get to go to the Quick Queue. And the Quick Queue means you can go ahead and go right to the front, so to speak. Don't you despise people who go and are part of the quick queue. Every now and then while I'm waiting, I sort of try to stick my foot out, you know? I didn't, you didn't hear that. Scratch that from the tape. Well, that's not fair, you say. Well, you pay in that instance. But Jesus is saying, you adults and parents who have come, you have the blessing. For I am the one who bestows grace. How I desire Bring my chil your children to me from a young age that they may have the covenant blessing and experience all the love and grace that I've shown you. It is very statistically relevant that the overwhelming majority of people that come to faith are children of believers. What does this have to do with us? Two things. The first is that children are valued in this church. Our infants have the same value as you do. Praise God for our nursery workers. For Ann Durham, who we would be lost without, who gives to our nursery. Julie Heinemann, who helps there. 
Debbie Boomer with Little Cove. Alex and Marissa with Discipleship Cove. They value and help these programs where we care for our children. But truth be told, my friends, you know what is the hardest thing to staff and what gives me, what makes me worry? Our nursery. Hardest place to staff in the church. Shouldn't be that way, should it? Why is it so hard? Maybe it's because we don't value them in the way that Jesus did. I want to challenge you to engage with our infants and our children more. Learn the names of them. Value them. Be a part of the children's program. We've got this new thing going on where you can pair up with someone. Don't just go to the nursery. Pair up with a friend and go up there and love our kids once every two or three months. You will even get a sermon. The sermon will be emailed to you that day into your email inbox with the video so you can watch the sermon. Be a part of that. Pour in and bless children. You will be blessed. And new parents. We've got kids coming out everywhere. It's exciting. Had a conversation with Lynn Haven a couple weeks ago saying, we're, we're out of space. You've got to do something. They're going to work with us. We're going to figure it out. But you have the blessing of bringing your children here in this church for the covenant blessing of God. I can't wait to be a part of that ceremony. I think many of us can't wait to be a part of it. This brings me to my final point. We've talked about the disciples. We've talked about Jesus. Now let's just talk about us. Truly I say to you, Jesus finishes, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is now speaking to you and me. That to come to Christ, we have to learn the lesson of children. How does a child receive something? My kids are getting bigger now. I have to resort to logic with them. I can no longer pummel them. Scratch that from the tape as well. But how does a child receive something? Unpretentiously. Eagerly. Gratefully. Wholeheartedly. They don't come with their list of things that they've accomplished. They don't come. It's not a transaction. They're not looking to make a deal. They come empty. They're fine with being brought, so to speak. Have you come to Jesus Christ in this way? Really come. Is it more of a transaction or a bargain? Or is it more of the faith of a child? Not a childish faith, but a childlike faith. Because if we are to come to Christ. We must come empty. We must come needy. We must come on our knees. If you are a Christian, things don't change once you come into the kingdom of God. Now it's not time to pull up my bootstraps and get to work. I've been saved to serve. It's time to return the favor. We get to come needy. We get to stay needy. Salvation is by faith. 
And so is sanctification and the Christian life. Lord, you still love me when I screw up? Yeah. You still love me when I'm judgmental? Yeah. You still love me if I stop doing this or start doing this? Yeah. Because Jesus is the one who assigns us our true worth. Not the world. Not even each other. And so if there's one thing I ask that you do going out of here, that you would go to Him. Him alone. Ask the question. That you might experience a true assessment of your value. The covenant blessing of God belongs to all who would come to Him. And whoever comes to Him, He will never turn away. Let's pray. Father, if we're honest, we're guilty. We give our love based on what people can do for us. Lord, help us to change. Help us to see love as it truly is. You are the giver. And Lord, help us to assign value to each other, to the people at our work, to our family and friends, and especially to our little ones, Lord. Let Redeemer be a place where people say how they love their children, how they love their infants. That was your heart's desire. Let it be ours also. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.